If you look there one page over on page 12, our scripture reading for this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 2, in the first 10 verses. And here Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing to Christians at the church in Ephesus, he says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning, uh, we get to have uh, Henry Morris come and preach to us. Henry, you can come on up. Henry and Betsy uh, both moved back here from Dothan after 15 years in Dothan, where Henry was an associate pastor at First Pres Dothan, and prior to that, he was an REF campus minister um, at Mercer and then at Florida State. And um, they moved back to Birmingham, and uh, Henry, I'm really glad you're here, thankful that you're going to come preach to us. So come tell us uh, what we need to hear. Thank you, Will. So good morning. It's good to be with you today. My wife Betsy and I have been here for about four or five months, worshiping at Red Mountain. And we can truly say that we have grown from uh, Matt's preaching and Will's preaching and have been so encouraged to be a part of this fellowship. We're part of the Walton community group. We've loved that as well. And um, so we're thankful for this church and glad to be getting to know you. Let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, I simply join the prayers that have already been prayed this morning. And now as we look to your word together, we do pray that you would encourage us in the gospel, that you would mold and shape us and transform us into the people that you want us to be. Lord, that you would fill our hearts with hope, that you would fill our minds with an eternal perspective and give us a desire in our hearts and wills to, to serve you and to walk with you. So, Lord, now we ask that you, would, that you would speak to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. About 20 years ago today, uh, close or 20 years ago in November, I stood on the floor of a presbytery in Florida, and I heard a tribute to a ruling elder... Um, that was being given. This man had passed away, and they were given a tribute to this guy. And he had grown up, his parents had immigrated from Taiwan. He was Chinese. He'd grown up in the New York area and uh, gone off to college, did very well, 
uh, graduated with prestigious honors. And he'd kind of been a prodigal in college. And then after college, God got a hold of this guy. And uh, he got back in the church. He got married. He got into his church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And uh, he began to be heavily involved in the ministries of the church. And um, he, he, he took copious sermon notes. He and his wife frequently had an open house where they invited the whole church over for, for lunch. Uh, one of the guys went into his study and he found his whole study just covered with sermon notes on the wall. This guy also poured his life into young couples. He started a young couples ministry in their church. He and his wife did. And then he uh, began to really work with the high schoolers because they didn't have a youth director. And he began recruiting and raising money to bring a youth director to their church. And um, he also spoke to the new members class about tithing. So it was kind of this impressive story. Um, He became an elder of this church, but then... When he was 31 years old, he, he loved to play basketball, and he was playing basketball with a bunch of guys in the church that he had shared the gospel with, a lot of them, and he died. He had a heart attack on the floor of the basketball court. And I just remember hearing that. It was one of those stories that sort of made you think, hmm, you know, God really got a hold of this guy's life and uh, used him in some significant ways. Um, and so I want to ask you this morning, and ask me, as we begin kind of a new year, what about your life? What will your life be like in the year ahead? What's going to characterize you spiritually in 2019? Now, a little side note first. Um, this is not a New Year's resolution sermon. You know, the problem with New Year's resolution resolution sermons is they can cause us or sort of call us to look within, to try to get your act together and find your own strength and your own power to, to live for God. And that's not what we're talking about here this morning. While we don't like New Year's resolution sermons necessarily, um, on the other hand, we have to say that God has made us people of rhythms. He's given us rhythms of rest and work and days and seasons. And so lots of times the new year, like the beginning of a new day, is a great time to kind of think about your life. It's a great time to step back. And I hope that this Advent season for you has been a time for you to think about your fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning, hopefully this is going to be a gospel-oriented and a gospel-orientation Sermon, Because that's what you need in the coming year, and that's what I need. Our purpose this morning is to really remind you of the calling that God has on your life and his purpose for you. And we want to look at some just what I think are central gospel realities. So this morning I want us to explore this passage, but especially verse 10 of Ephesians 2, under really under three headings. God's poem, God's purpose... And God's providence. So first, God's poem. Let's begin in verse 8. Paul says to the saints in Ephesus, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. 
For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What a great place to begin this morning, and what a great place to begin as a Christian. The foundational and most fundamental thing about you this morning, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, is that you are God's workmanship. You are part of this great story that God is writing in the world. Um, in the Greek, the word is poema, from which we get our word poem. That's where I got this point from. Uh, and this means this, that you as believers are part of God's poem. You're part of his writing, his creation, his story, his song. This word's only used one other time in the Bible, in Romans 1.20 where it talks about people being able to look out at creation and through the things made, perceiving that there is a God. So what this is saying to you about you, if you're in Christ, is you are God's thing made. You are the thing that He has made. In the same way that the sun and the moon and the stars, the earth, the water, the animals, and the sky are a great display of God's handiwork, so your salvation is a great display of God's handiwork. Um, and, and please understand this. This passage is talking about salvation. You know, Psalm 139 says that we're fearfully and wonderfully made, that God knit us together in our parents' womb. And that psalm is talking about that we're a part of God's physical creation. But this, is, this passage is talking about the fact that we're God's spiritual creation. He's not talking about our bodies being his workmanship, but he's talking about our salvation being his workmanship. And that's really the great theme of Ephesians 1 through 3. If you know the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters lay out, lay out the glories of our calling and the things God has done for us. And so he says things like this. He says, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. In love, he predestined you to be adopted as sons. He chose you before the foundation of the world. Uh, he set his love and affection upon you. He's forgiven you all your sins. He's redeemed you. He's given you insight into his plan and purpose. He's sealed you with the Holy Spirit. And then in chapter 2, after this passage, he talks about the fact that you and I, if we're in Christ, that we have been given access. We used to be far away from God, like the Gentiles, without hope and without God. We were away from the promises of God. We were away from the people of God. We were away from the purposes of God. But in Christ Jesus, God has brought us near. And those are the things that he's laying out here. It also says he's made us part of his church, part of this glorious dwelling in which he lives by his spirit. But going back to Ephesians 2, which is our main passage, we want to say this. Um, look at Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 7. Several things about you. It says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You had no spiritual taste for the things of God. You had no relationship with God. You didn't pray. You, you were, your heart was dead to the Lord. And we used to walk that way. Um, we were apart from him. But now God has taken you who were dead and he's made you alive. He's given you new life. It also says that we were bound we followed the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. 
We were by nature children of wrath. So we were, we were uh, fast bound in sin in nature's night, as the song says. That's the way we were uh, before we became Christians. And yet God has now set us free. Um, we were condemned. We were, like the rest, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So God, we were... We were dead, we were bound, and we were under God's condemnation. But now God in Jesus Christ has reversed all those things. And really, everything we've talked about so far, this is why people preach on Ephesians for years and years and years. Because <laughs> any one of those points could be an entire sermon. So we're hitting it with a shotgun sort of approach this morning. But I want to say this to you. If you're a Christian, you're part of this wonderful story. You're part of God's glorious work in history. And it's not just about our individual salvation, though that is encompassed here. This story uh, spans way beyond us. It It begins with this promise to the woman that she would have a seed who would crush the head of the serpent. It extends to God's covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob where he looks at them and says... I will be your God and you will be my people. It carries forth into the prophets and the priests and the kings in the Old Testament and um, the, the promised seed of David. And then there's Advent that we've been celebrating this last month. All these glorious songs about the birth of the Messiah. It's, it's all, that's what's being talked about when he says you are God's workmanship. And then the catechism reading we just read uh, that Joe so wonderfully explained. You know how the story ends. We are going to be with Jesus in the new heavens and new earth. So if you're here this morning, that's what's true of you. And that's the first thing that I want to press on you. You are God's workmanship. If you're sitting in this sanctuary this morning and you sing with joy in your heart, because you know something of a relationship with God. If you worship the Lord, if you seek to minister in His name, if you seek to live in a way that pleases Him, it's because God has worked His grace in your heart. It's evidence that you're His workmanship. This is really what we need to take, a, take to heart. Um, it's what we need to take to heart as individuals. This means however ordinary you feel, however unspectacular you think you are and your life is and you perceive yourself to be, or however insignificant you deem yourself, you are actually the workmanship of God. Now, what an astounding thought. As one person said, put that in your theological pipe and smoke it. You and I, by God's grace, are His workmanship. Uh, and why is that? And, and Well, I want to go further. This also means despite all your sins and despite all your sinfulness and your failures and even with your doubts and fears 
and imperfections and blemishes and the ways that we are so aware that we've fallen short, our sins and thought, word and deed, in the ways that we don't like ourselves, in the way that we struggle to even like others at times, and to be loving, we're nevertheless part of God's workmanship. Those things do not disqualify us, and that's good news. Um, and why is that? Because it's salvation is all because of God's love and grace. Ephesians is so clear. This is a gift of God. It's not a result of our works. I want to say this to you. If you're visiting this morning and you're perhaps considering Christianity, this is a fundamental assertion of Christianity. You can't get to heaven, you can't be in a relationship with God based on your own works. You simply can't. It's not possible. So there's a song that Christians sing. It goes like this. It says, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. See, Christians believe that the gospel is a gift or salvation is a free gift from God and it's never something that we get by earning. We're never going to be good enough on our own. We always fall short. Don't we come into contact with our own human shortfalls so often? About earlier this month, Betsy and I went to, with, with somebody else in this church, went to a Christmas concert at Shades Mountain Baptist Church. And they had a band called Active Congress. And some of you may have heard of them. So Active Congress is a guitar, a mandolin, a violin, and a bass cello. My favorite music. And so they had a guy up there that was playing, and he was a fantastic mandolin player and vocalist. And he had his skinny jeans on, and I leaned over to my wife and I said, that's what I want to be. I want to be a guy who wears skinny jeans and can play the mandolin fantastically. And she leaned over and said, I think it's too late. <laughs> uh, you know, it's one thing that, to think we're going to be good enough in this life, right? That's one thing. But to think you're going to be able to stand before God based on your works and be accepted by Him, that's serious. Salvation is this free gift. And I hope that you know Jesus Christ, the Savior who came into the world to save sinners. Um, But if you are a Christian this morning, you're his workmanship. And so this is the first thing this morning. This is the first, what I think, gospel perspective that should shape your life in 2019. I'm in. I'm in the kingdom of God. I'm part of his workmanship. And go explore that. Go delight in that. Go find out more about that. Go read Ephesians 1 through 3, because that's the whole point of Ephesians 1 through 3. But now here's the second thing. We've talked about God's poem. We're God's poem. But what about God's purpose? Notice what God says is the purpose for your life, for those of you who are part of his workmanship. It says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That simply means this. If you're in Christ, you've been created with a unique capacity to do good works and for the purpose of doing good works. 
In other words, these good works are sort of inextricably bound up in our salvation. Think about it like this. All things that you come into contact with life are a lot of things that are man-made. We're created for a purpose, right? You might think of power tools. Um, Power tools are made to help you do certain types of work. A skill saw helps you cut wood at different lengths. Uh, A sander helps you get wood smooth. A drill helps you uh, screw pieces of wood together and take them out when you've messed up and redo it again. Um, Those things are designed to help you do work. Or you might think of a stove. A stove is designed to help you heat and cook foods. A car or a truck or SUV is designed to help move your family from one location to another and move your goods and possessions from one location to another. Um, An MRI machine is designed to help get a good look at the human body. Accounting software is designed to help you order your finances. All these items are created for a specific purpose, and I just want to say this. Basically, you need to realize that God has created you for a purpose. He has a claim on your life. What good would it do to have a skill saw and to not use it, or to have a car and just let it sit in your driveway? The purpose of having a car is to drive it and use it. Part of your purpose as a Christian is to live for and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you see, the picture is this, that God has, for, God has called us into his workmanship, and we are vitally united to Jesus Christ, and we are supposed to do the works that he did. Now, we need to be very careful about this. As, you know, as Protestants, we like to talk about Ephesians 2, 8 through 10a, Right? But we get a little nervous when people start talking about works because we want to be so careful that people don't miss the gospel and it's so right for us to be that way. But Ephesians 2.10 is a fascinating passage. He says, you are not saved by works so that no one can boast, but you are saved for works. God is making something. He's shaping something. He's doing something through you. So we've got to be careful to get our works in the right Place. John Owen said, grace is not opposed to action, it is opposed to earning. That's a good quote. You know, Jesus talked a lot about good works. He said, let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. He talked about the sheep and the goat judgment. He says, the thing that separated the sheep from the goats is what they did and didn't do. And the sheep were people who visited people in prison and helped the sick and ministered to the poor. The Apostle Paul told the Christians at Philippi that it is God who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. In other words, God works in our hearts and gives us a desire to serve him. In Titus 2, 14, we read that our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous of good works. And so works have their place. And uh, let's think about this for a minute. What, what are we talking about specifically when we talk about good works so you don't get confused about this sermon? And, and good works are basically deeds that you do in the name of Christ and out of your love for Christ uh, towards others and towards God. Ephesians 4 One says, walk 
worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And then Ephesians 4 through 6 kind of spells out what walking worthy looks like. And it says things like, we're to walk in unity and love with other believers. We're to use our spiritual gifts to serve others. We're called to holiness of life, to a certain kind of speech that's truthful and edifying, to living a life of sexual purity, to not engaging in works of darkness but of light, to practicing love in the home, mutual submission, honor, dying to self, and to engaging in spiritual warfare. You know, those are some good works. It means living a fruitful Christian life or displaying the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And good works also certainly includes the Great Commission. Because Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples. So the great reason that Red Mountain Church exists is to worship God and to go and make disciples. To gather, some people said this way, to gather and perfect the saints. We're supposed to be gathering the saints and helping all of us live more like Jesus perfecting us. And so we're called to be a part of that mission. And that kind of brings to the third and final point, but it's really sort of a sub-point of number two. About these good works, uh, we're created in Christ Jesus for good works. And it says this, that God prepared that beforehand that we should walk in them. So we need to think about God's providence. What, what does this mean? What does it mean that God prepared beforehand works or, that you should do? Well, I think it means in a general way, we're called to a certain lifestyle. We're called to walk out holiness, love, obedience. But I think it also means that God has specific good works for you to do. Specific callings on your life. Why do I say that? Do you remember Jeremiah's calling in the Old Testament? And God came to the prophet Jeremiah and he said what? I have set you apart from your mother's womb and you are going to Proclaim my words to all those whom I send you to. And then we think of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 16 when he was converted. And Ananias went and laid his hands on the Apostle Paul. And it said, Ananias, go to this house because i got to show this man how much he must suffer for my sake and how he will take my name before kings and many in authority. So God had appointed Paul for these works of ministry before Paul even knew who the Lord was. Jesus said to his disciples, go make disciples of all nations. So he's appointed these good works for us. Okay, I hope this is not getting confusing. Um, God has appointed you to bear fruit for him. He's appointed the the kind of fruit you're going to bear. He's probably given you particular spiritual gifts for the good of the body. He's appointed the time of your fruit bearing. Um, he has works for you. He, he's caused you and I to be born at this moment in history, to be alive at the end of 2018 and probably alive in 2019. And he's called us to do certain things. He's called us to bear fruit in all the phases of our life. I think God has some good works for you to do when you're young, some good works for you to do when you're in your teens, some things for you to do when you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. Um, so God has appointed the kind, he's appointed the time, he's also appointed the measure of our fruitfulness. Some people are going to have lots of seeming spiritual fruit, others maybe not so much. Um, but it's all part of God's sovereign providence. 
There's a book I've been reading that I read the last two years. It's called On This Day in Christian History. It's by a guy named Robert Marshall. And it's kind of the impetus for the sermon. And because it, it goes through different things that God did on particular days in history. And, um, for example, um, it tells the story of a man named Basil who was born in 300s to a wealthy Christian family. And he became a Christian and he began to preach and help the poor and he wrote and preached here about the nature of Christ. He established hospitals. Uh, he established a hospital for lepers. He started this whole complex of hospitals and churches and schools and orphanages and hostels and houses for the poor. That's what he gave his life to. And, and the th- thing that's been fascinating about this story is over and over, or this book, is over and over, it's different stories of people who, who God's got a hold of their heart in some way and they began to develop a burden or a vision for a certain people. And so, I'm just going to ask, what about you? Now, understand, we can't know what God, how God's going to use us in the coming year. I'm not pretending we can answer that question, God is sovereign. But I'm saying... What does this call us to? Maybe there's a person who's struggling with loneliness or depression, and you need to be the person to walk through this with them in the year ahead. Maybe there's a woman who's lost a child, and you've lost a child, and you're a woman, and maybe God wants you to be the person to go and comfort them in their loss. Maybe there's a lost person on your office or on your street or in your family who needs to hear the gospel, and maybe God wants you to be his mouthpiece. Maybe in the year ahead, God wants you to relieve somebody of their financial distress in a significant way. Maybe God wants you to help a broken-hearted person to really care for someone who's homeless. Maybe God wants you to teach an investigative Bible study or serve your neighbor by keeping their kids Or take care of elderly neighbors, help them in their yard, watch over them, care for them in some way. Maybe God wants you to start a ministry to the elder at Red Mountain Church. Elderly at Red Mountain Church. Which would be just me and Miles. You can minister to us. Sorry, Miles. I threw you under the bus with me. Um, I don't know what work God has for you. But I do know this. You're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand for you to walk in them. And I think this passage calls us really, doesn't it, to humble ourselves and to seek God. So just sort of in closing, um, uh, well, one other thing. You know, one of the principles of RUF, the PCA's campus ministry, is this, is that God is at work. And that was so helpful to me in all my years of ministry. is to realize that God is already working and we are just joining him. But I'll throw out a challenge for us as a church. Okay, Red Mountain was established to seek to minister to people in Birmingham. And one way you might say it is this. In 2019, in Birmingham, God is going to be at work. There are people who are going to come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. 
There are people who are going to grow in their relationship with Christ. There are people who are going to grow in their knowledge of the Bible. And I just say, what part did God have for you to play? And what part does God have for this church to play? What part does God have Red Mountain to play? You see, and that's... Will's getting ready to preach a series on elders. And it's so important to pray and to have good elders. Because elders have to lead the church spiritually. They have to hear from God. They have to sense, okay, God, what are you doing in this body at this time? What do we need as a flock? And so, just in closing, I hope these gospel realities will encourage you and shape you in the year ahead. Uh, How do we respond to these things? You're God's workmanship... And the first calling is just to reject, to rest in that, to rejoice in that, to be settled in that, and to be thankful for that, to rest in the gospel this year. And then he's created you to serve him. So seek him and try to find out where that would be. And trust God that he's sovereign in the whole process. He's sovereign in your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this passage and... Uh, for the great grace that we have experienced in Jesus Christ. And Lord, I I do truly pray, we've talked about a lot of things, but I just pray that this year we would take great heart in the fact that we're, we're your workmanship and that, Lord, we're part of this grand story that you are writing. And, uh, Though we be imperfect people, you love us greatly. Father, we also want to serve you. And we pray that we can do that in your head. In Jesus' name, amen.